Book One, Chapter Four, Part One, of History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claude Banta. History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume One, by Henry Charles Lee. Book One, Chapter Four, Establishment of the Inquisition. Part one. Much as the conversos had gained, from a worldly point of view, by their change of religion, their position, in one respect, as we have seen, was seriously deteriorated. As Jews, they might be despoiled and humiliated, confined in narrow Jewries, and restricted as to their careers and means of livelihood. But withal, they enjoyed complete freedom of faith, in which they were subjected only to their own rabbis. They were outside of the church, and the church claimed no jurisdiction over them in matters of religion, so long as they did not openly blasphemy Christianity or seek to make proselytes. As soon, however, as the convert was baptized, he became a member of the church, and for any aberration from orthodoxy he was amenable to its laws. As the Inquisition had never existed in Castile, and was inactive in Aragon, while the bishops, who held ordinary jurisdiction over heresy and apostasy, were too turbulent and worldly to waste thought on the exercise of their authority in such matters, the conversos seem never to have recognized the possibility of being held to account for any secret learning to the faith which they had ostensibly abandoned. The circumstances under which the mass of conversions was affected, threats of massacre or the wearing pressure of inhuman laws, were not such as to justify confidence in the sincerity of the neophytes. Nor, when baptism was administered indiscriminately to multitudes, was there a possibility of detailed instruction in the complicated theology of their new faith. Rabbinical Judaism, moreover, so entwines itself with every detail of the believer's daily life, and attaches so much importance to the observances which it enjoins, that it was impossible for whole communities thus suddenly Christianized, to abandon their rites and usages, which, through so many generations, had become a part of existence itself. Earnest converts might have brought up their children as Christians, and the grandchildren might have outgrown the old customs, but the conversos could not be earnest converts, and the sacred traditions handed down by father to son from the days of the Sanhedrin were too precious to be set aside. The annuism as they were known to their Hebrew brethren, thus were unwilling Christians, practicing what Jewish rites they dared, and it was held to be the duty of all Jews to bring them back to the true faith. As soon, therefore, as the church had gained her new recruits, she began to regard them with a pardonable degree of suspicion, although she seems to have made no effort to instruct them in her new doctrines, after hurriedly baptizing them by the thousand. In 1429, the Council of Tortosa indignantly denounced the unspeakable cruelty of the conversos, who, with damnable negligence, permit their children to remain in servitude of the devil by omitting to have them baptized. To remedy this, the ordinaries were ordered, by the free use of ecclesiastical censures, and by calling in, if necessary, the secular arm, to cause all such children to be baptized within eight days after birth and all temporal lords were commanded to lend their aid in this pious work. The outlook certainly was not promising, 
that the coming generation should be free from the inveterate Jewish errors. How little concealment indeed was thought necessary by the conversos so long as they exhibited a nominal adherence to Catholicism is plainly shown by the testimony in the early trials before the Inquisition, where servants and neighbors give ample evidence as to Jewish observances openly followed. Still more conclusive is a case occurring in 1456 in Rosellon, which, although at the time held in pawn by France, was subject to the Inquisition of Aragon. Certain conversos not only persisted in Jewish practices, such as eating meat in Lent, but forced their Christian servants to do likewise. And when the inquisitor, Fray Mateo de Repica, with the aid of the Bishop of Elna, sought to reduce them to conformity, they defiantly published a defamatory libel upon him, and, with the assistance of certain laymen, afflicted him with injuries and expenses. It was not without cause that when Bishop Alfonso de Santa Maria procured the decree of 1434 from the Council of Basle, he included a clause branding as heretics all conversos who adhered to Jewish superstitions, directing bishops and inquisitors to inquire strictly after them and to punish them condignly, and pronouncing liable to the penalties of foutership all who support them in those practices. The decree, of course, proved a dead letter, but nonetheless was it the foreshadowing of the Inquisition. When Nicholas V, in 1449, issued his bull in favor of the conversos, he followed the example of the Council of Basle in accepting those who secretly continued to practice Jewish rites. In the methods commonly employed to procure conversions, the result was inevitable and incurable. What rendered this especially serious was the success of the conversos in obtaining high office in the church and state. Important sees were occupied by bishops of Jewish blood, the chapters, the monastic orders, and the curacies were full of them. They were prominent in the royal council, and everywhere enjoyed positions of influence. The most powerful among them, the Santa Marias, the Davilas, and their following, had turned against the royal favorite, Alvaro de Luna, and with the discontented nobles were plotting his ruin, when he seems to have conceived the idea that if he could introduce the Inquisition in Castile, he might find in it a weapon wherewith to subdue them. At least this is the only explanation of an application made to Nicholas V in 1451 by Juan II for a delegation of papal inquisitorial power for the chastisement of Judaizing Christians. The popes had too long vainly desired to introduce the Inquisition in Castile for Nicholas to neglect this opportunity. He promptly commissioned the Bishop of Osma his vicar-general, and the scholasticus of Salamanca as inquisitors, either by themselves or through such delegates as they might appoint, to investigate and punish without appeal all such offenders, to deprive them of ecclesiastical dignities and benefices and of temporal possessions, to pronounce them incapable of holding such positions in future, to imprison and degrade them, and, if the offense required, to abandon them to the secular arm for burning. Full power was granted to perform any acts necessary or opportune to the discharge of these duties, and, if resistance were offered, to invoke the aid of the secular powers. All this was within the regular routine of the inquisitorial office, 
but there was one clause which showed that the object of the measure was the destruction of de Luna's enemies, the Converso bishops, for the commission empowered the appointees to proceed even against bishops, a faculty never before granted to inquisitors, and subsequently, as we shall see, withheld when the new inquisition was organized. All this was the formal establishment of the inquisition on Castilian soil, and if circumstances had permitted its development, it would not have been left for Isabella to introduce the institution. The Inquisition, however, rested on the secular power for its efficiency. In Spain, especially, there was little respect for the naked papal authority, while that of Juan II was too much enfeebled to enable him to establish so serious an innovation. The new Christians recognized that their safety depended on de Luna's downfall, the conspiracy against him won over the nerveless Juan II, and in 1453 he was hurriedly condemned and executed. Naturally, the bull remained inoperative, and some ten years later, Alonso de Espina freeingly complains, some are heretics and Christian perverts, others are Jews, others Saracens, others devils. There is no one to investigate the errors of the heretics. The ravening wolves, O Lord, have entered thy flock, for the shepherds are few, many are hirelings, and as hirelings they care only for the shearings, and not for feeding thy sheep. To Fray Alfonso de Espina may be ascribed a large share in hastening the development of organized persecution in Spain, by inflaming the race-hatred of recent origin, which already needed no stimulation. He was a man of the highest reputation for learning and sanctity, and when, early in his career, he was discouraged by the slender result of his preaching, a miracle revealed to him the favor of heaven, and induced him to persevere. In 1453 we find him administrating to Alvaro de Luna the last consolations of religion at his hurried execution, and he became the confessor of Henry IV. In 1454, when a child was robbed and murdered at Valladolid, and the body was scratched up by dogs, the Jews were, of course, suspected, and confession was obtained by torture. Alonso happened to be there, and aroused much public excitement by his sermons on the subject, in which he asserted that the Jews had ripped out the child's heart, and burnt it, and by mingling the ashes with wine had made an unholy sacrament. But unfortunately, as he tells us, bribery of the judges and of King Henry enabled the offenders to escape. The next year, 1455, as provincial of the Observantine Franciscans, he was engaged in an unsuccessful attempt to drive the conventuals out of Segovia, or to obtain a separate convent for the Observantines. Thenceforth he seems to have contracted his energies on the endeavor to bring about the forced conversion of the Jews, and to introduce the Inquisition as a corrective of the apostasy of the conversos. He is usually considered to have himself belonged to the class of conversos who entertained an inextinguishable hatred for their former brethren, but there is no evidence of this, and the probabilities are altogether against it. His Forticalium Fidei is a deplorable exhibition of the fanatic passions which finally dominated Spain. He rakes together, from the chronicles of all Europe, the stories of Jews slaying Christian children in their unholy rites, of their poisoning wells and fountains, of their starting conflagrations, and of all the other horrors by which a healthy detestation 
of the unfortunate race was created and stimulated. The Jewish law, he tells us, commands them to slay Christians, and to despoil them whenever practicable, and they obey it with a quenchless hatred and insatiable thirst for revenge. Thrice a day, in their prayers, they repeat, let there be no hope for Meshudanim, conversos. May all heretics, and all who speak against Israel, be speedily cut off. May the kingdom of the proud be broken and destroyed, and may all of our enemies be crushed and humbled speedily in our days. But the evil now wrought by Jews is trifling to that which they will work at the coming of Antichrist, for they will be his supporters. Alexander the Great shut them up in the mountains of the Caspian, adjoining the realms of the great Khan of the monarch Cathay. There, between the castles of Gog and Magog, confined by an enchanted wall, they have multiplied until now they are numerous enough to fill twenty-four kingdoms. When Antichrist comes, they will break loose and rally around him, as likewise will all the Jews of the Diaspora, for they will regard him as their promised Messiah, and will worship him as their God, and with their united aid he will overrun the earth. With such eventualities in prospect, it is no wonder that Fray Alonso could convince himself in opposition to the canon law, that the forced conversion of the Jews was lawful and expedient, as well as the baptism of their children without their consent, when such was the temper in which a man of distinguished learning and intelligence discussed the relations between Jews and Christians, we can imagine the character of the sermons in which, from numerous pulpits, the passions of the people were inflamed against their neighbors. If open Judaism was abhorrent, still worse was the insidious heresy of the conversos who pretended to be Christians, and who more or less openly continued to practice Jewish rites, and perverted the faithful in their influence and example. These abounded on every hand, and there was scarce an effort made to repress or punish them. The law, from the earliest times, provided the death penalty for their offense, but there was none found to enforce it. Fray Alonso dolefully asserts that they succeeded in their presence, in so blinding princes and prelates, that they were never punished, and that when one person accused them, three would come forward in their favor. He relates an instance of such an attempt, in 1458, at Formensta, where a barber named Fernando Sanchez publicly maintained monotheism. Fortunately, Bishop Pedro of Palencia had zeal enough to prosecute him. When his offense was proved, and under fear of the death penalty he recanted, but when he was condemned to imprisonment for life, for so much sympathy was excited by the unaccustomed severity that in accordance with numerous petitions, the sentence was commuted to ten years' exile. In 1459, at Segovia, a number of conversos were, by an accident, discovered in the synagogue, praying at the Feast of Tabernacles, but nothing seems to have been done with them. At Medina del Campo, in the same year, Fray Alonso was informed that there were more than a hundred who denied the truth of the New Testament, but he could do nothing save preach against them, and subsequently he learned that in one house there were more than thirty men at that very time laid up in consequence of undergoing circumcision. It is no wonder that he earnestly advocated the introduction of the Inquisition as the only cure for this scandalous condition of affairs, that he argued in its favor with warmest zeal and answered all objections in a manner 
would show that he was familiar with its workings from a careful study of the Clementines and of Emmerich's directorium. The good cura de los Placios is equally emphatic in his testimony as to the prevalence of Judaism among the conversos. For the most part, he says, they continued to be Jews, or rather, they were neither Christians nor Jews, but heretics, and this heresy increased and flourished through the riches and pride of many wise and learned men, bishops and canons, and friars and abbots, and financial agents and secretaries of the king and of the magnates. At the commencement of the reign of Ferdinand and Isabella, this heresy grew so powerful that the clerks were on the point of preaching the law of Moses. These heretics avoided baptizing their children, and, when they could not prevent it, they washed off the baptism on returning from the church. They ate meat on fast days, and unleavened bread at Passover, which they observed as well as the Sabbaths. They had Jews who secretly preached in their houses, and rabbis who slaughtered meat and birds for them. They performed all the Jewish ceremonies in secret, as well as they could not and avoided, as far as possible, receiving the sacrament. They never confessed, truly, a confessor, after hearing one of them cut off a corner of his garment, saying, Since you have never sinned, I want a piece of your clothes as a relic to cure the sick. Many of them attained to great wealth, for they had no conscience in usury, saying that they were spoiling the Egyptians. They assumed airs of superiority, asserting that there was no better race on earth, nor wiser nor shrewder, nor more honorable through their descent from the tribes of Israel. In fact, when we consider the popular detestation of the conversos, and the invitation to attack afforded by their Judaizing tendencies, the postponement in establishing the Inquisition is attributable to the all-pervading lawlessness of the period, and the absence of a strong central power. The people gratified their hatred by an occasional massacre, with its accompanying pillage, but among the various factions of the distracted state, no one was strong enough to attempt a systematic movement provoking the bitterest opposition of a powerful class whose members occupied confidential positions in the court, not alone of the king, but of every noble and prelate. Earnest and untiring, as was Fray Alonso's zeal, it therefore was fruitless. In August 1461, he induced the heads of the Observantine Franciscans to address the chapter of the Geronimites, urging a union of both bodies in the effort to obtain the introduction of the Inquisition. The suggestion was favorably received, but the answer was delayed, and the impatient Fray Alonso, with Fray Ferdinando de la Plaza and other Observantines, appealed directly to King Henry, representing the prevalence of the Judaizing heresy throughout the land and the habitual circumcision of the children of conversos. The zeal of Fray Fernando outran his discretion, and in his sermons he declared that he possessed the foreskins of children thus treated. King Henry sent for him, and said that this practice was a gross insult to the church, which it was his duty to punish. Ordering him to produce the objects and reveal the names of the culprits, the frail could not only reply that he had heard it from persons of repute and authority, but on being commanded to state their names refused to do so thus tacitly acknowledging that he had no proof. The conversos were not slow in taking advantage of his blunder, and, to crown the defeat of the Observantines, the Geronimites changed their views. Their general, Fray Alonso de Oropesa, 
who himself had Jewish blood in his veins, was a man deservedly esteemed. Under his impulsion they mounted the pulpit in defense of the conversos, and the observantines for the time were silenced. While the labors of the fiery Fray Alonso were unquestionably successful in intensifying the bitterness of race hatred, their only direct result was seen in the Concordia of Medina del Campo between Henry IV and his revolted nobles in 1464-5. In this, an elaborate clause deplored the spread of the Judaizing heresy. It ordered the bishops to establish a searching inquisition throughout all the lands and lordships, regardless of franchises and privileges, for the detection and punishment of the heretics. It pledged the king to support the measure in every way, and to employ the confiscations in the war with the Moors, and it pointed out that the enforcement of this plan would put an end to the tumults and massacres directed against the suspects. Under this impulsion, some desultory persecution occurred. In the trial of Beatriz Nunez by the Inquisition of Toledo in 1485, witnesses allude to her husband, Fernando Gonzalez, who, some twenty years before, had been convicted and reconciled. More detailed is a case occurring at Lerna in 1467, where, on September 17th, two conversos, Garci Fernandez Valencia and Pedro Franco de Villarreal, were discovered in the act of performing Jewish ceremonies. The alcalde mayor, Alvaro de Cispedes, at once seized them and carried them before the Episcopal vicar, Joan Milan. They confessed their Judaism, and the vicar at once sentenced them to be burnt alive, which was executed the same day. Two women compromised in the matter were condemned to other penalties, and the house in which the heresy had been perpetrated was torn down. In such cases, the bishops were merely exercising their imprescriptible jurisdiction over heresy, but the prelacy of Castile was too much occupied with worldly affairs to devote any general or sustained energy to the suppression of Judaizers, and the land was too anarchical for the royal power to exert any influence in carrying the Concordia into effect. The deposition of Avila, which followed in the next year, plunged everything again into confusion, and the only real importance of the attempt lies in its significance of what was impending when peace and a strong government should render such a measure feasible. Yet it is a noteworthy fact that in all the long series of the Cortes of Castile, from the earliest times, the proceedings of which have been published in full, there was no petition for anything approaching an inquisition. In the fourteenth century, there were many complaints about the Jews and petitions for restrictive laws, but these diminish in the fifteenth century, and the later Cortes, from 1450 on, are almost free from them. The fearful disorders of the land give the procurators or deputies enough to complain about, and they seem to have had no time to waste on problematical dangers to religion. End of Book 1, Chapter 4, Part 1